0: City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Uh, Here at City Church, uh, and this new series that we're starting is going to be on the life of David. So uh, from now and through the summer, we're going to look at exactly who David was. Uh, Many of us know, if we have any familiarity with the Bible, that David's kind of a big deal. If you didn't... um, David's kind of a big deal. Uh, Not only was he a significant character in the life of the nation of Israel, uh, in the life of the Bible, but he also wrote several of the Psalms, the songs that we find in the pages of the Bible. So we're going to go through and we're going to be looking at um, all the ways uh, that David lived his life from the highs to the lows. And as we get started this morning, I want to ask this question. What makes you who you are? What is it that defines you? As we begin to think about that question, ask that question of ourselves, for some of us, uh, we may immediately go to the things that we do. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a construction worker. I'm a fill-in-the-blank with what you do. Or maybe it's what you do well. Well, I'm, I'm really good at talking. Or I can listen really well. For all of us, we sort of start to fill that in, and we end up filling that in oftentimes with how we look or what we do. Sometimes we fill it in with what we know. Well, I I went to school for this, and I know a lot about this. And this isn't something that's new. This is something that we, as humans, have done for a long time. We all tend to categorize ourselves by what we do, how we look, and what we know. Let me give you an example of this to help you sort of see how you do this in real life. Imagine trying to explain a mutual acquaintance to your friend. How do you do that? When You, you know, that person that we know from the gym, how do, you, how do you explain that person that you know from the gym? Let's be honest. If you've ever had this experience of trying to do that, you get really shallow really quick. The way that you describe an acquaintance to one of your friends, somebody that they should know, gets real shallow really quick. I want to tell you a story to illustrate this. Uh, So I had some friends at my last church in South Carolina, and uh, these friends were absolutely fantastic people. Uh, they, were, they were great. Uh, he uh, was so kind. She was one of the sweetest people I knew. But for whatever reason, the people in the church could not learn their names, could not remember who these people were. And so I'd say, oh, Reagan's going to take care of that Sunday school class. Oh, I'm sorry, who's Reagan? Oh, you know, Reagan, Elliot's wife. No, no, no. They're the Maxwells? No, and I would I would try so hard to, to give anything I could to explain who Reagan and Elliot were, and no matter what I tried, I couldn't get people to know these people that had been attending the church for two or three years. But then there was one phrase that I could use that inevitably would would immediately make everybody know. I would say, after trying to, you know, Reagan he does the uh, Mac. Uh, I'd say. Ken and Barbie, and immediately everybody in the church would go, Oh, yeah, I know them. They're the best. They're great. Because Reagan was beautiful. She was bubbly. She was so sweet and a beautiful blonde. Elliot was tall, dark, and handsome doctor. I mean, they, they were sort of the all-American couple, and they were completely forgettable, but if you said the words... Ken and Barbie, they were immediately memorable. I think that you have probably had this same thing happen in your life in one way or another. Whether it's, hey, have you met the new guy at work? Whether, fill in the blank with what scenario you have had to try to explain to somebody. You very quickly got really shallow because we tend to categorize people by what they do and how they look. We reduce one another. To what we do, how we look. And I think one of the things that we're going to see in our passage today that was a struggle for people in the time of David, that's a struggle for us, is this that we're quick to make judgments of others. And we're also quick to walk away from God when things aren't convenient. We're quick to make judgment of others, to categorize them and put them away in a box, and we're quick to walk away from God when it's inconvenient. So we're picking up the story of David at the beginning when he is introduced to us, but he's being introduced in the middle of a bigger story. See, the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, Moses led them out of the land, and then Joshua led them into the promised land, and for hundreds of years the people of Israel existed without a king. They had uh, regional leaders who would rise up and help them and would would lead them. And these leaders were called judges. But the people again and again and again kept saying, yeah, that's nice, God, but what we really want is a king. And God kept saying, no, but I'm your king. And the people said, yeah, no, 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 we uh, we want an actual king. And the people kept saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And so finally, God said we were going to have a king, and he instructed Samuel one of his prophets to anoint a man named Saul as their king. And if you know anything about the Bible, things did not go well for Saul. Saul was not uh, in the hall of fame of good guys. In fact, uh, things went pretty bad. It got so bad, in fact, uh, that God abandoned Saul as king. And that's where we're sort of jumping into this story. The people of Israel have been begging for a king, begging for a king. He gives them a king and he's not a nice guy. And now God is going to choose someone else. So I'd ask that you'd all stand up as we read God's word together. We're going to read First Samuel chapter 16 reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and, just, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy, and now he was rudy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite." who is skillful and plain, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and he sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered into his service, and Saul loved him greatly. He became his armor-bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And yet, whenever a harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 3,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So this is a story of an underdog. This is the story of the rise of someone who came from nothing, and as we'll see, will end up with so much. But when the story begins, David is out in the fields. He's hanging out with sheep. And God comes to Samuel, his prophet, and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go anoint a new king. And Samuel has the response that most of us probably would have had. Um... See, the thing about that is there's already a king, and if he finds out that I'm around anointing other people as kings, uh, he won't like that, and he's going to kill me. And so God says, it's okay, it's time for a sacrifice in Bethlehem. That's your alibi, go take your sacrifice. And as he goes through, he goes to town, and he says, let me see all the sons of Jesse. And immediately, the first son rolls in. And Samuel goes, "Aha! That's it. That's the guy." The Bible says that he was great of stature; that he was tall. He was imposing. He was he was a mountain of a man. He was a big dude. And that's the kind of king Israel needs. And God says, "No, you you already have a mountain of a guy." When Saul was selected, it says the Bible says that he was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. You've already had your giant king. That's not what you need. And immediately, God says something really interesting to Samuel. He says, Samuel, your problem from the jump is you're trying to select a king by what he looks like. But I don't look at people the same way you do. You are looking on the outside, but I'm looking into his heart. You see, God is far more concerned about our heart than our appearance. Now, for some of us this is really good news. Because if we were judged on our appearance, things would not go so well. And and yet at the same time, there's some freedom in this, right? Ah, good. I do not have to strive so hard to meet our culture's sense of attraction. I don't have to work so hard to make sure that I fulfill the cultural ideal of a man or a woman. I don't have to I don't have to work so hard for that and we think, ah, good news. And then God says The catch is, I look at your heart, which is for most of us, all of us, not good news. Because as much as we struggle and are frustrated by the way that we look, by our appearance, we ought to be more frustrated with what our heart is. You see, you and I are very good at looking apart. Those of us who are Christians are very good at looking the part of Christian. We have learned very well how to hide our flaws, our sins, our brokenness from others. Think of the things that no one else knows about you that you work tirelessly to keep that way. Those things that are secrets that only you know that you want so badly for no one. To ever find out. You see, that's what looking at our hearts looks like. We hide who we are from everyone else. We cover our appearance so that people won't get a clue of what's really wrong with us. And God comes and says, It's not what you look like, it's not how pretty you are, it's not how educated you are. It's not how good of a haircut you got from Billy's. It's not any of these things. What's significant is who you are when no one else is around. What's significant is in your heart. Because most of us use how we look and what we do to try to cover for what we know is going on in our heart. Some of us do this cheerily uh, with the, per- uh, the force of will. Some of us do this with how beautiful we are. But a lot of us do this by trying to hide the depths of our heart by papering over it with nice deeds. Okay, if I do enough kind things to someone else, no one will suspect, no one will get a scent of what I'm really like if I just do enough kind things, if I just be nice to enough people, they won't realize what's really going on with me. And we begin to use our religious deeds, our religious activity, to cover up what's really going on in our heart. God says, no, I see into you. He sees into David's heart, and there's something there that he says, Yes, that. That's the one who will be king. That's the one who I have chosen. But something really interesting happens. You would expect for for Samuel to to proclaim David as king, to say, Ah, yes, this is the king! But it seems from the, the text that we just read in 1 Samuel, that he just anoints David in front of his brothers, And we don't even get told that he tells David what it's all about. He doesn't anoint David and say, you're the next king. He just anoints him and says, okay, I'm going to a town called Ramah. I'll see you guys later, and leaves. There is this little bit of cliffhanger to David. We know what's going to happen. We who have read the story know what's going on. But in a very real sense, David did not know exactly what was going on he just know that God had chosen and anointed him for something. And the Spirit of God rushes into David. David is filled with the Spirit. And then the story moves on really quickly. But it moves on by contrast. Because what immediately we're told is not only did David receive this, but Saul lost it. And we immediately see the contrast that we're going to see over the next few weeks between Saul and David. These two men that are set up to be enemies of one another. That are, that are contrast. One's the antagonist, one's the protagonist. One's the good guy in the story, one's the bad guy in this story. But what do we find happen? David is immediately thrown into the lion's den, if you will. Because Saul is having trouble. Saul has walked away from God. And he has walked away from God in such a way that he is being tormented by his decisions and tormented by what's going on in his life, which is a picture for each one of us of the way our lives work. You see, whenever we walk away from what God has for us, walk away from what God tells us in the Bible, we always choose something else to worship. This is the way that your heart works. This is the way that my heart works. It's the way that Saul's heart works. We choose something else to worship. In Saul's case, uh, he chose to worship uh, expedience. He chose to worship things going his way quickly. What we're told is that Saul was told, Hey, before you go into battle, wait for Samuel. He'll come and make a sacrifice. Then you go into battle. Saul said, Hey, I haven't seen Samuel around here in a long time. I'm just going to go ahead and make the sacrifice and go into battle. He was impatient. He wanted what he wanted to happen right away. Now, that sounds nothing like you, right? You are never impatient in significant things in your life. You're never impatient for that promotion that you've been wanting for a long time, to find that next job that you're going to. You're never impatient about that. I'm never impatient. So this is this is good this is for other people this isn't for us there's no lessons to be learned for us about patience and trusting in God except there is right I know from my heart When people begin to ask me something, I often say that I wish I could get in a time machine and and hop forward three years, and maybe city churches has a stable building and our budget's completely supported from the inside, and maybe we've even got some staff members, and maybe we're looking at planting another church. That'd be, man, if I could just fast forward to that, I would get to skip over a lot of hard work. And I'm about skipping over a lot of hard work. Because... My idols, the way that I worship things other than God, are very similar to Saul's. You see, each one of us wants to find ourselves in David. We know David's the good guy, so we look at him and we want to say, Yes, I'm like David. I'm the underdog who God chooses. But in reality, when you look at your heart, what you find is that you're probably more like Saul. You are quick to look around and go, I want to worship that. I'm more interested in serving something else. And when we do that, just like Saul, we're tormented. Here's how it works in our life we walk away from God in small ways or in large, and we decide that we're going to worship something else. Now, we may not say it in those words, but what happens is you and I begin to say, ah, what I really want is power. What I really want is influence. What I really want is a relationship. Fill in the blank with that thing that really keeps you up at night because that's the thing that you worship. The thing that you get most angry about, the thing that frustrates you the most, that's what you actually worship. For Saul, it was power, and convenience. And what happens is when you're chasing things like that, that begins to rule you. So you replace God with something else. But here's the thing about all of those something else's in your life and mine: they never fulfill. If I just had if I just had more money, then all of my problems would be fixed. What happens when you get that raise? Well, I was wrong this time, but another 10%, that would fix all my problems. If, if I could just have this relationship go well, everything in my life would be perfect. But what happens? That relationship is never as fulfilling as you want it to be. If I could, if I could just have kids, then everything would be alright. That sounds like a great idea until it's 3 in the morning. And you realize that your kids can't save you, that your kids are terrible gods. That power is an awful God that will betray you every time. And the way that it betrays you is by asking you for more. Yes, I know, I know that that relationship didn't, but this next relationship, that'll really fix it. And so we give it more. And we're tormented. Because the Bible says again and again and again, that idolatry is death to our soul. That it torments us. That it keeps us up at night. That it makes us un. Well, The way that we chase so many things that aren't God. And that's exactly the picture we see in Saul in this passage. That's the picture of you and I. Not David. Not the underdog. Because when we look at David, we're supposed to see somebody else. It's interesting that David is thrown straight from being anointed as the next king into the throne room of Saul. But does he come alone? Does he just show up? No, it's really interesting. What does David do? He shows up, and he is carrying with him a donkey full of bread and wine. And he soothes the anxious, idolatrous heart of Saul. As we look at this story, we're meant to see that we are Saul, and that David is a reminder of, and a picture of Jesus to us. Who even when we don't deserve it, even when we couldn't pay Him back, comes to us with the sacrifice of His body and His blood. That we see week after week here at City Church and the very things that we find in this passage. Bread and wine. See, Jesus' death is the good news that you can be free from idolatry. That you don't have to worship all of those other things. That you can find truth, goodness, and beauty in the message of Jesus. Because He has died for you and loves you. That no matter how bad and deep your idolatry cuts no matter how bad and deep my impatience is no matter how awful your quickness to judge people by their outside appearances is Jesus comes to you as Paul says while we were still sinners Christ died for us preemptively Jesus loves you Jesus loves doesn't come based on how well you do, on how well you realize that you don't cut it. Jesus' love doesn't come in response to what nice things you've done or your appearance. Jesus' love comes first. It is undeserved, and you can't pay it back. And that's the beauty of this passage, is it points us, yes, to our sin, but it points us even more to the goodness of Jesus. Because that kind of love, the kind of love that goes first, the kind of love that you can't pay back and that you could never deserve, that's the kind of love that Jesus shows us, and that's the kind of love that transforms us, that changes our hearts like Saul's, from chasing after so many other things to finding their fulfillment in the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to do that when we begin to center our life around that, when we begin to look at that for fulfillment, we're able to let go of our need for power, our need for that relationship, our need for that thing or that feeling. And we begin to be able to look around and love others. You see, not only was David's heart changed by this passage, but the way that he interacted with others. David became the soothing presence of God to Saul. See, Saul thought his problem was just that he got angry. His real problem was his heart was anxious because he was separated from God. He thought it was just because David played a real nice harp that he felt better. What he didn't realize is that it was more about the fact that David brought with him the presence of God. And when our lives are transformed by the message of Jesus, we go out and we become for others the presence of God. God sends us out to be His hands and His feet in our homes. To our children and our friends and our family. He sends us out to be those who wage peace in our offices. Those places where we play. Those places where we hang out. He sends us out to be the balm, the suntan lotion of the burn that idolatry puts in the hearts of us and our friends. May God change us in that way. Let's pray.